What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich Butler, and if this is your first time checking out an episode, first of all, welcome. Second of all, a bit of background on what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is an interview series where we sit down with content creators and entrepreneurs and discuss the gadgets and gear that they use to create their content, run their business, and just be overall productive. In addition to that, the toy aspect is a little bit more broad, going beyond action figures and Funko Pops and talking about some of the other things that people are into that they consider their toys, whether it's cars, knives, bikes, uh, musical instruments, guitar picks, you name it. The definition of toys is pretty broad here. This week's episode is going to be a little different than the usual episodes. I um, I was inspired to do a Q&A episode by a, a friend of mine who's been doing podcasts for a while. And given that we talk about so many different aspects from uh, entrepreneurship, different tools, different gadgets, different software, and toys as well, I figured we'd do a Q&A episode. And I want to try and do more of those, just talking about some of the different things that we cover on air. Sometimes it's going to be strictly gadgets and gear. Sometimes it's going to be software. Sometimes it's going to be toys. Sometimes it's going to be about the brand itself, the show. It's going to vary from episode to episode. But I reached out to our audience, some of the colleagues that we have here on the Rageworks Network, and asked them what kind of questions they have that I can answer for them on a Q&A. And we got a lot of different responses, plus a couple of emails came through um partly on the heels of the whole Gary V thing and those people had questions. So we're going to get into the questions right after this break and uh, we'll see what people have to ask and I will do my best to answer them. So let's get to it. All right, let's get the Q&A rolling and we're going to start with some questions that we got from some of our other hosts on the Rageworks network that they wanted me to answer. So I will get right to it and get the ball rolling with Tony who hosts Call Me When It's Over, which you can find on the Rageworks Network, and new episodes for that podcast are released every Saturday. His question was, do you think that the Funko Pop bubble will burst soon? You know, it's interesting, as somebody who's been collecting pops for a long time, uh, my collection is well into the hundreds at this point, and I've been downsizing quite a bit because a lot of stuff was impulse buys, and a lot of stuff was just stuff I held on to that I was trading or selling, etc. The thing was, as as Funko and, and the popularity of Pops really started to take off, I would look at it in the same vein as Beanie Babies. As many of you know, Ty did the whole Beanie Baby thing uh, back in the 90s and 2000s, and um, it got real popular, and there were bears and different plush animals that were worth hundreds upon hundreds of dollars. The bubble burst, and everybody's just stuck with a bunch of uh, bean beanie stuffed animals all over their house. Some people's collections are in the hundreds with those as well, including some big ticket ones. Funko is a little different because initially, when Funko was just doing pops, I said to myself, eventually they're going to run out of IPs, they're going to run out of properties, or people are just going to get sick of them. But considering that the average pop is between ten and fifteen dollars a piece. It's a very low barrier of entry, and Funko as a company has been diversifying quite a bit. It's not just Pops anymore. They're doing mugs, pencil toppers, T-shirts. Uh, they have also some some ancillary brands that are doing different things, Loungefly, um, you know, the reaction figures. 
So for them, if they were only relegated to pops, I would say that the bubble was definitely going to burst sooner rather than later. But given that they're so diverse and they're also improving their scopes, I think that there's going to be at least another couple of years of Funko Pops in the mainstream. And I wouldn't be shocked if at one point they'll start tapering off and just start focusing on some of their other brands like Loungefly and some of the others as the as the shift in, in terms of what people are collecting changes towards something else. But what the hell do I know? But I do. I, I personally can say I've been buying a lot less and I've been downsizing quite a bit. Another one of our hosts sent a question, and that is our very own Jay Santi. Uh, this one's a gaming question, and he said, what is the most anticipated gaming console on the horizon? You know, with E3 behind us at this point, it's it's a very interesting question that can go in in a couple of different directions, and there's really no right answer. And the reason I say this is because, as many of us know, PlayStation definitely has a PlayStation 5 on the horizon, and it's been talked about quite a bit. Um, and Microsoft is trying to make a very, very strong showing as well with their brand new Xbox Scarlet hardware, which we'll be seeing next year. But the thing about it is that as of right now, if we look at the all three companies, Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft, uh, each one of them fulfill a particular niche. And I think that when people wanted to get a complete entertainment experience, uh, Microsoft was really the console to focus on because you'd be able to watch Blu-rays, uh, watch 4K in the case of the new Xbox systems, uh, stream your content, play some of the latest and greatest games, have a really good community with Xbox Live. But obviously that changed quite a bit with Sony not only delivering a slew of amazing AAA titles, but just focusing on what brought them to the dance in the first place, and that was really good games. Microsoft with their whole catch-all uh, home theater experience console it was met with mixed response, you know, mixed responses by many people. I personally own both consoles and I, each one fulfills a particular need. I still like the Xbox Live system and the community and just being able to plug and play. So I play a lot of my first person shooters on that system. Some of the single player games are being played on that system and even some multiplayer stuff. My PlayStation is primarily my fighting game console. Although I, I have branched out into some other console exclusives, you know, God of War, Drake, etc. But Nintendo's really the company that has stepped it up quite a bit. You know, they came out with the Switch and created this wonderful console that has a mix of classic nostalgia games, but also really awesome new IPs that are debuting on the system and giving gamers just a, a breath of fresh air in terms of a mobile experience. So in terms of what to be you know what I feel I'm I'm anticipating or what's the most anticipated console on paper I got to say the PlayStation uh, especially fresh off the heels of PlayStation 4's victory in the console wars thus far I think that's the most anticipated console especially because of all the AAA titles that they bring to the table now personally for me the most anticipated console is Xbox's offering because not only are they offering backwards compatibility, but they're also offering backwards compatibility for a lot of the accessories that the Xbox One S and the Xbox One X currently use. So I definitely feel that Microsoft's trying to keep uh, those other, you know, a lot of other people that have been invested in the Microsoft platform happy by giving us the backwards compatibility. 
Yeah, for me, it's a big deal because I still like to play some of my older stuff and I hate having, you know, three, four, five consoles just to be able to play certain older things that I'm, you know, I'm either playing for the hell of it or that I'm still chipping away at in a backlog of games. So on paper, like I said, PlayStation 5, but personally, it's going to be the Xbox One Scarlet or whatever they're going to call it. So that's where I stand with that. The next one comes from... uh uh, one of my colleagues that used to write for RageWorks and is doing uh, an amazing job now after after his college career has ended. Um, that's our very own Captain Quark. Uh, Andrew sends a very interesting question, which after our coverage of CE Week this past week, was it's a very timely question. He writes, will 8K truly be as important as the gaming companies are making it out to sound, or is it just a case of companies future-proofing the next generation? He goes on to add, from my findings, 4K screens still command a hefty price point, and many people are happy with 1080p as long as it runs at a consistent 60 frames per second. So we were we were at CE Week last week, and we got to see a lot of 8K displays and televisions. And don't get me wrong, they are they are magnificent pictures, beautiful, beautiful stuff. But in my opinion, and again, this is strictly my opinion, a, a 1080p television is is still great um has a low barrier of entry it's very cheap and most importantly a lot of people you know when it comes to 4k if you're buying a 60 inch tv or bigger that's when you're really going to start to see uh the real benefits of something like 4k 1080p is great for for a lot of people i have one 4k television that i bought for my bedroom that i got a really good price on and the 1080p TV that I that I had is now in my living room. And I'll tell you that unless you're watching, you know, a 4K Blu-ray with Dolby Atmos and, you know, the full experience, um, you can get just as good of a picture from a 1080 Blu-ray watching it on a really good calibrated 1080p television. Now, when it comes to 8K, it's like anything else. It's another buzzword. It's another way to move units. It's the same thing with 3D TVs. At the end of the day, until the broadcast standard catches up to 4K and and even 8K, right now we're we're barely getting 1080p on broadcast television stuff. So with regards to that, just keep your 1080p televisions, and if you get a good deal on a 4K and you want to quote unquote future proof to use your word, then by all means do so. But listen, unless you're a you're a big movie buff and you have one of the newer consoles and want to enjoy that those enhanced visuals then by all means pick up a 4k tv but 1080p is still still the name of the game i mean you can still stream a lot of 1080p stuff and it looks beautiful and i mean really beautiful and that's only from straight streaming 4k you're not going to get true 4k when you stream i say this quite a bit um obviously based on internet bandwidth being one of the biggest hurdles so i think that when it comes to that particular aspect if you're going to make that jump to quote unquote future proof then buy 4K mediums, uh, 4K media, excuse me, and definitely buy the console that'll leverage 4K the best with some of the best games in the biz, whether it's a PS4 Pro or an Xbox One X or an Xbox One S. Either one of those will definitely do it. But um, the Xbox consoles, obviously, you get two devices in one because you'll be able to watch 4K Blu-rays on those consoles, which you cannot do on the PS4 Pro. So. To answer your question in short, 8K, while it is important in terms of where 
the industry is going. It's not something you have to jump on right away. It, like I said, it, it's the same thing like curved televisions and 3D televisions and 3D Blu-rays. It's something that hasn't caught on yet. And at the end of the day, it's the consumer that's going to dictate whether it holds on or not. If you remember when Microsoft came out with the Xbox way back when, everything was being done in HD DVD. And of course, uh, Sony was doing Blu-ray. And eventually one format came above all and that was Blu-ray and that was the end of HD DVD. Now with streaming being the name of the game and 4K being, uh, you know, the, the more welcoming format if you're buying discs, it's one of those things where it's a matter of personal preference. What I'm doing honestly is I've been downsizing my Blu-ray collection quite a bit. Um, just getting some of the, the casual movies that I like to watch, um, on digital through voodoo and movies anywhere. And then the stuff that has amazing effects, the stuff that's just, that's just an experience, whether it's like movie, like Marvel movies or the matrix or Lord of the Rings, things like that. I'm picking those up in 4k, uh, just because, you know, those I, I want to enjoy in, in, in the best experience possible with the best sound, with the best picture, and I have the television to do it. 8K is, uh, again, I saw some 8K TVs at CE Week. Amazing, amazing displays, amazing pictures. Do you need one right away? No. Do you need one within the next year or two? No, because the technology is going to still be expensive, and 4K television prices are dropping very, very fast. And I guarantee you by next year, CES, um, 1080Ps are going to be priced pretty much... Uh, 1080p televisions are going to be priced similar to what the old 720p TVs are where you can buy a TV for $100 and it's still be 1080p and 4k is going to be nice, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollar televisions, you know, in the 55 inch range. And once you're going into the 65 or 70, you'll be able to pick those up for a thousand and maybe even under that. But again, it's something to keep an eye on, but don't jump in it right away. The next question comes via email from Denise, who asks, Rich, what's going on with the business partner search? I came across your content from the Gary V video on the Bro Advice YouTube channel. Uh, really powerful stuff. Curious to see if you found a business partner. All right. Uh, first off, Denise, thanks for the email and checking in. Uh, glad you came across our content, even though, as I've said before, you know, that that Gary V video is is going on two years old and a lot has changed since then. Uh, the one thing that hasn't changed is the search for a business partner, uh, primarily because it's just tough to find somebody who's as passionate about what we do as I am. And it's, you know, it, it's kind of disingenuous to say it that way because, again, it's my business, my brand. So nobody's going to be as ride or die as me. But I just feel that a lot of people don't get what we're trying to do. So the enthusiasm isn't there. They just figure, okay, we'll toss a little money in. And when it blows up, we take our chips, cash out and keep it moving. And I think that partly that's because a lot of people just don't share those same interests. And I think that what I'm going to have to end up doing is really going within my circle of, of friends and colleagues and seeing who really wants to buy in and wants to be involved with the brand in a larger capacity. Um, there are some really good people out there who I'm friends with that I think would just be tremendous assets, but like anything else, you know, it's tough to pitch somebody, um, what's essentially the long game when everybody's looking at trying to make money short term, but 
right now the search is still ongoing and the only thing I can add to that is I had one one person who was incredibly close but it just didn't work out in terms of what the expectation was I think that they that they thought it would just be a matter of you know trying to secure sponsorships or stuff like that for podcasts but it's bigger than that obviously the brand itself is where the money needs to be coming into not just obviously the podcast etc i mean that's part of it but it's it's only you know 25% of the business there's still written content youtube content uh event coverage etc and i think that you know the person had one idea and once i explained it to them it just didn't work out but the search is still ongoing, Denise. But hey, if you know somebody, send them my way. I definitely uh, would welcome a conversation. Next one comes from Rob. Hey, what's going on with the YouTube channel? Things have been a bit quiet. No new videos? Question mark. All right. So the YouTube channel has been quiet just because I've been trying to really figure out what I want to do with the channel. And the reason I say this is because the channel, in, in you know, is an extension of the website and as such there's gaming stuff there's podcasts etc on there and while some people like uh being able to listen to some of these episodes you know in their office via youtube because it's the only thing they have access to other people just feel that it's disjointed um other people want me to just focus on the tech aspect other people want me to just focus on the toys aspect it's it's tough you know because rageworks if if you're not aware is an acronym you know and it's a the acronym stands for rants about gaming entertainment and the works and um obviously the gaming is covered uh, courtesy of our very own slick uh the entertainment is covered by myself and the other hosts on the network and slick as well and of course the works is everything else toys comics etc and i think that we have a pretty good handle on that stuff As I've said before, we've downsized our content quite a bit. Uh, No more wrestling, no more MMA. Uh, Wrestling is handled by Jay on Turnbuckle Tabloid. But uh, MMA and everything else that I used to focus on heavily just didn't fit with the brand and where we were going. So um, in terms of videos, I still put Toys and Tech of the Trade episodes on there. And I'm going to try and put more event stuff on there. Like I'm just trying to figure it out, trying to figure out where I want to take everything. You know, I came across a YouTube channel recently called The Everything Man. Uh, the guy who runs the channel, Tem, is, um, he, 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 he hits it right on the head, man. The Everything Man. And that's, that's kind of how I feel. I feel that, you know, I can talk about comic books. I can talk about video games. I can talk about pro wrestling. I can talk about MMA. I can talk about tech, you know, computers, podcasting. So it's, it's a little it's a little tough for me to kind of whittle it down and I've been doing as best as I can but as always if if there's something you want to see on the channel that you think would be would be suitable or something that I you know you'd like to see never hesitate to drop me a line whether it's via email or in the comment section on the group or Twitter or Facebook you know I, I always welcome the feedback I always welcome ideas from the audience and you know we test them out and we see if people like them so there you have it um i think we're going to do three more questions and then we'll save the rest for another q a uh the next one what happened with you and new york comic-con <laughs> um i'm not going to read this person's name because they asked for it not to be read um new york comic-con it's interesting because 
uh, we covered New York Comic Con 2010, 11, 12, I think through 2013. And then there was a change in how they credentialed brands and media. And needless to say, we just, we just didn't meet the criteria for whatever reason. And they never really gave us a, any specifics. Now, some colleagues in the, in the industry have told me that it's based on the metrics. Others are saying it's based on other things. But the way I see it is I think that what happened was, during that time, a lot of people took advantage, uh, getting badges and things for, for other people that weren't doing any content or doing any coverage. And as a result of that, you know, a lot of brands either lost out or, you know, just, it just, the, the content wasn't something that the people at New York Comic Con were happy with. And as a result, they changed the rules. Now, me personally, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but I saw a lot of that. I saw a lot of people that, you know, got a, got a press pass for four days and they would go two days and then they'd give the badge to someone else who would just wander the show floor and hang out and buy stuff and just basically be a customer. Others would just go and they would get content and then do nothing with it. Uh, you know, I've said this before. Um, to people who've asked me that, hey, how do you cover events, et cetera? And I, and I used to say, listen, you go, you cover the event within the first 24 to 48 hours, you got to get some content out there, whether it's a written post or even social media stuff. But you definitely have to show that you were present at the event and you got to show real legwork. It's very easy to just throw a couple of lines on a, on a screen and call it a post and that's it. But you know, you might want to talk about the interviews or you might want to talk about the cosplayers, but you definitely have to have a more, you know, diversity when it comes to the coverage for the event. Now, obviously, I can go to New York Comic Con and buy a ticket, but I'm trying to downsize and not buy more stuff like I have a studio full of pops and toys and statues and everything else. So if I'm going to going to go to New York Comic Con, I want to go to work. I'm being honest. That's that's what I want to do. I want to go and take photos of cosplayers and meet the creators and talk to some of my favorite artists and share all of that with you guys, whether it's on this show or another podcast or even on the site itself. I, that's, that's what I want to do. If I wanted to go and, and buy more pops and statues, etc., I could do that on my own time. But if I'm going to cover an event, I want to give you guys 110% when it comes to that coverage, like we do for toy fair. Um, would I would I reapply and go back? Sure. I think that, you know, ever since my daughter was born, I'm looking at event coverage a little differently, especially because I want to know if attending this event is going to, number one, bring value to the brand. And number two, you know, is it going to be worth the expense? And that's that's definitely a big part of it. And honestly, on my bucket list is San Diego and E3. So if I can go and cover one of those, I would do that over New York Comic Con in a heartbeat. But you never know. I might wake up on the wrong side of the bed in August or September and try and apply and see what happens. But for now, that's that's the short version of uh, my, my tale of woe with uh, New York Comic Con. So there you have it. What happened to the variant issue? <laughs> Oh man. Uh this would this one comes from Sam. I don't think it's the Sam that I know, but in any case, uh the variant issue uh was the comic podcast that was hosted by myself and Jimbo Slice. And um 
what happened was that, you know, Jimbo, Jimbo didn't want to sit there and, and do a podcast complaining about the same stuff or, you know, just not without the same level of enthusiasm that we always had. And I respect that. I get it. You know, when I did MTR, which is my take radio for those of you that aren't aware, you know, I did 400 episodes of that show and there were some weeks where I would turn on the microphone and I would really have to force excitement and enthusiasm for some of the stuff I was talking about because nobody on top of the fact that I was doing the show for an hour, two hours, three hours, I didn't want to just drone on with the nonsense, you know, and I think that that was when it stopped being fun is when I realized that it was time to pull the plug. And I think when it came to the variant issue, Jimbo, Jimbo just didn't feel it was fun anymore. And I respect that. I mean, I'd rather go out on a high note with some really dope content then phone it in and then people remember the last five episodes being complete nonsense. So there you have it. The, the, the variant issue right now is, is on hiatus. I don't want to say that we, that we've killed it because, you know, there's been some conversations about some things and, you know, the variant issue brand lives on. So if you went to, um, the, uh, the CradleCon event recently, you know that the variant issue lived on, uh, and myself and Jimbo Slice were there and people really, uh, enjoyed that. But yes, the variant issue for right now is just, it's just on hiatus. Will it come back someday? Maybe, maybe not, but I'm not going to speak for Jimbo with regards to that. So that's the story, but who knows? Maybe if you guys badger him enough at Jimbo, J I M B O underscore S L Y I C E on Instagram. <laughs> if you badger him enough, who knows? He might want to turn on the mics and uh, give you guys a little heat. But for now, that's, that's where we're at with the variant issue. Uh, last one. Um, I felt that the variant issue question should have been the last one, but, uh, this will be it. What else are you collecting besides Funko Pops? And that comes from Brian. I don't know if it's, uh, my buddy Brian, but I'll answer this quick and easy. Uh, Funko Pops are something that I kind of ventured into, uh, over the last few years, but, let me tell you, as somebody who was big into comic books for a long time, I collected a lot of comic book action figures, uh, whether it was Toy Biz Marvel, uh, some of the DC figures, even the old superpowers action figures. My brother helped me get some of those. Um, Marvel Legends, huge Marvel Legends fan, had a lot of those. Um, anything from Image Comics, I had a lot of Spawn action figures and some of their different properties. And um, lately, lately it's been transformers and like old voltron um especially after the netflix series came out i bought the uh the classic voltron set which i actually am going to try and put together on our youtube channel i think people will like that so definitely that and i also got into transformers heavy just buying a lot of the stuff that i missed um power of the primes really dope line of of collectibles and uh power rangers i've been kind of buying some of those big collectibles that I missed out on that Power Rangers put out. You know, the uh, the Green Ranger Dragon Dagger, the uh, the White Ranger Saba Sword, um, a couple of Zords, so stuff like that. So that's kind of where I am right now. I did actually buy a One Punch Man action figure that McFarlane put out that we got to see at Toy Fair. So that's pretty much what I'm collecting right now. Um, like I said, still the occasional pop figure here and there, but definitely downsizing and um actually you know i also started getting into the qmx figures too i forgot to talk about those quant from quantum mechanics uh those are really solid uh very small smaller than funko pops and they have a, a cool design so i've been collecting those as well 
But um, I think I'm going to probably do a studio tour within the next few weeks once I get everything situated because I'm actually doing some some renovations in the studio, getting rid of the uh, the bat cases that we kept some of the Funko Pops in, uh, throwing in some better shelves and just unboxing and getting rid of a lot of stuff that I have, statues and different things, either getting rid of them in terms of just getting rid of the packaging and displaying them or just selling them or trading them with other people. So that's where we're at with regards to what I'm collecting. I'm still buying video games, just not as as frequent since I'm not reviewing them. You know, now now that I'm a, a dad, things are a little a little more, uh, you know, infrequent when it comes to turning on a console. So, you know, I I'm actually picking up Samurai Showdown, uh, which comes out June 25th. So that's going to be a birthday present for me because love all the fighting games. You can't keep me away from that stuff. All right. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this Q&A episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade. By all means, if you have any questions you want answered on a future episode, you can email me rich at rageworks.net or you can uh, ask on social media, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, etc. You can find all our social media links in the show notes for this episode. Uh, we got a, a ton of amazing guests on the horizon, including Tem, the everything man who I was talking about, um, a couple of photographers and a couple of other really awesome individuals, uh, Preston Hudman, who I've been communicating with after the whole Gary V video, uh, his, his insight into YouTube is, is out of this world. I definitely can't wait to sit down with him. Uh, like I said, Tem, the everything man, um, couple of other people we're going to talk to some wrestlers and and a few other people and and really dig into the toys and tech of their trade so be on the lookout for that in the coming weeks thank you guys for checking out this episode and we'll see you in two weeks peace